The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Too often we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease, but these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy Malhotra. Welcome, everyone, to Generation Regeneration Holistic Radio. And just in case you're wondering, it's starting 94534.3. I am your host, Sandra Malhotra, also the owner and publisher of Regenerate Magazine that you can check out at regeneratemagazine.com. We're so happy you're joining us today and want to provide helpful information and inspiration on this show and in the magazine also that will help you make better daily choices that regenerate all aspects of your life. Because let's face it, being sick, being ill, it's not fun. Being healthy, that's where you get the good stuff in life. And as many of you know, we added a new feature this year. The first show of each month has been dedicated to the Abundance Cubed group coaching program for wellness entrepreneurs with coach Noam Kastuki. And our guest today, Janae DeBrule, was a participant in this program. Janae is an organic farmer and owner of Stone Coop Farm in Brighton, Michigan. She works with local residents and businesses to provide fresh, organic produce to her community through their community-supported agriculture, farmers markets, wholesale, and retail. She's a member of Livingston County's Hunger Council, in addition, which which produces fresh produce for food pantries and food assistance programs in Livingston County. You can learn more all about her work at stonecooppharm.com. Welcome back to the show, Jonay. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Sandra. Now, let's just jump right in and get started with a conversation about your journey, what has brought you to this point of being an organic farmer? Because you didn't start off that way. No, no. I uh, worked in the insurance industry for 21 years. And uh, during the you know recent recession in 2009, I was laid off by my company. And uh, luckily, I decided uh, with my husband to go ahead and pursue something I loved. And while I was trying to figure that out, I got the opportunity to volunteer to start the Community Garden Project in Livingston County for the um, Emergency Food Bank. So uh, that summer, myself and two other women delivered 2,100 pounds of produce, and I was hooked. I knew I had to grow food for people. Mm. So from there, I was um, given the opportunity to go to Michigan State's Organic Farmer Training Program in 2010, which is a nine-month-long intensive organic training where you work on their 10-acre farm. And um, from there, I met a couple other people and started Stone Coop Farm in 2011. So it has been quite the change from 
wearing a business suit to and working <laughs> in the insurance industry. Right, that's right, but you're following your passion, so that's awesome. So tell us more about Stone Coop Farm. Where exactly is it? How big is it? And what types of things do you produce? We're in southeast Michigan. We're about an hour west of Detroit, and if anybody's familiar with the University of Michigan, we're about 15 miles north of Ann Arbor. We okay. um, own 30 acres, but we're currently just growing on five acres, and we're growing uh, vegetables, fruits, herbs, and then we have some heritage breed chickens on the farm for um, eggs, and we're growing all year long. We have five passive solar um, hoop houses or high tunnels that allow us to grow even in the winter in the frigid colds of January and February in Michigan. That's right. I lived in Michigan for a while, so I'm familiar with that cold, so that's really amazing that you're producing year-round. And for folks that are lucky enough to live nearby, where can they get your food at? You you participate in the CSA and also farmer's markets. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we have a CSA um, and a farmer's market at the farm every single Wednesday, 48 weeks a year, from 4 until 6, where you can um, come to the farm and get fresh produce. You don't have to be a member, but you can. Um, and then... Um, we also work with several grocery stores in the area and local restaurants in the area. So you can nice. see our food on some of those grocery store shelves. Very nice. Okay. So let's now backtrack a little bit and just talk about the state of farming in general in America. So what is going on with farmers in general in terms of their age, their livelihood? How is it going with that field? Uh, farming is really at a crisis point right now. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it's on the State Department's concerns. Every time they send us a survey, they want to know what our succession plan is. Who is going to take over the family farm? Um, the average age of a farmer of the 2.1 million farms in the United States, the average age is 58 years old, um, which is shocking, less uh, than... Well, more than 50% of all of our U.S. farmers are going to retire in less than 10 years. Wow. So the big concern is what happens to all that farmland? Um, and there's no clear answer uh, right now. Uh, more than 75% of the farms in the U.S. only make $50,000 a year. And uh, only 46% of those actually make a profit. So most farmers have to work off-farm to support their farming operations, which, in my mind, is criminal. (laughs) People just don't understand the cost of food. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so you brought up a really interesting subject there, the cost of food. So let's, let's delve into that, actually, because that's a big one. I think what people are used to is paying the subsidized cost of food the subsidized cost of mass-produced food, let, let me put it that way, which is not the real cost of food. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so what is your perspective on that? Educate us about what the real cost of food is. Well, the tough part is that the big farmers who grow corn and soybean and canola and those monocrop type of systems where they're just growing one type of crop are getting large government subsidies. Whereas the specialty crop growers, which are the vegetable growers for the actual things that are healthy for us, get no subsidies. 
And when you consider the fact that most farms are small and labor-intensive, it takes a lot of time and labor to actually harvest and produce fruits and vegetables. And if you're going to do it organically, then you're not going to spray anything, um, any chemicals on your lands. So there's a lot of weeds. There's a lot of hand labor. Um, you can't use a whole lot of mechanized equipment like a combine to harvest tomatoes um, or, you know, a lot of those other type of vegetables that we all love to eat. Yeah. Okay. So when you go to a grocery store and you see a dozen eggs for $1.99 versus pasture-raised eggs for, say, five ninety nine. Uh, you're paying the real cost of healthy food with the five ninety nine, as opposed to uh, a factory farm operation, which is likely using a lot of genetically modified and therefore subsidized feed for the chickens. And so one should understand where that cost is coming from, because just like you said, farmers aren't getting rich off of this. It's not that there's a, a greedy farmer charging five ninety nine or so for that dozen eggs. It's a very different situation than that. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Um, the the cost for real food to feed your animals, that that's not covered in Roundup and genetically modified corn and soy, um, is approximately, I'm going to say probably five to ten times more than just regular old poultry feed. And a lot of the poultry feed actually has chicken parts in it. Oh, God. So a lot of the chickens that are grown, are raised in conventionally grown farms have chicken food, chicken parts in the chicken food. Um, and they don't get any air. They don't get to go outside. Um, there's hundreds of thousands in one house. It's, uh, it's pretty disturbing to actually see some of those big factory farms where a pasture raised, you get to see the chickens walking around and looking for bugs and going through the grass and doing what chickens do, uh, and those are the kinds of animals that I would like to eat their eggs from, the healthy ones that are outside yes. getting, you know, the fresh air and that the normal things that they would do. Yes, that's exactly right. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the food system in the U.S. What other aspects of it would you say are broken? Uh, well, for me, specifically, Specifically, as an organic farmer, less than 1% of all of our food grown in the United States is from organic farms. Mm. And organic farmers have to actually track every single solitary thing that they put into their soil or onto their crops. Whereas a regular farm, a conventional farm, they can spray Roundup on their crops as many times as they want. The day before they harvest, there's nothing stopping them from putting as many chemicals on the crops, in the soil, in the irrigation water, and none of that is tracked. Mm. So it seems awfully backwards that we don't have to track any of the chemicals are our food, but if we grow things naturally and healthy, we have to track everything. Okay, okay, <laughs> yes, yes, that is really backwards. And you brought up a couple of really good points there that I'd like to focus on. One being... You're referring to Roundup a lot, which is also known as glyphosate, which is an herbicide which is widely used by conventional farmers because it kills lots of weeds, uh, especially with genetically modified seeds because those seeds are resistant to it. So the farmer can just 
douse those foods with it. And you said something very interesting where it could be doused with glyphosate, which the World Health Organization has called a probable carcinogen days before it's harvested. So tell us, why do they do that? The reason they do that, not only to kill the weeds, it also kills the actual crop. And in some cases, like wheat, that means that the wheat will actually, when it dies, all of the kernels will ripen at the same time. So they don't have to wait for nature to let it ripen those crops. They can actually harvest it right after they kill it. So it's a shortcut. (laughs) So basically, let's douse it with the chemical, kill it, let's harvest it, and then that's passed on to the consumer, right? Whoever is eating that. Yeah, because it's not like it's cleaned off, right? Yes. There's no way you can wash that off, especially for corn and soy and canola that actually have a lot of those chemicals inserted into the DNA of the seed. So there is no washing it off. Yikes. Yeah, I just, it wasn't too long ago that I recently learned about the practice of spraying glyphosate onto crops shortly before harvest to kill them. Okay, so now tell us, which types of crops does that happen with? I'm not an expert in all those since I don't use that chemical, thank goodness, but I do know that it's for a lot of the um, grains. Yeah. um, Which uh, they use that. They also use it to kill... um, cotton and um, potato vines because it's easier to harvest potatoes once the actual plant itself is dead. Um, So they use that for cottonseed oil as well as for potatoes and wheat. Um, I think they use it for barley as well, but I'm not 100% sure. So I think the biggies there, well, cottonseed oil, because that's in a lot of processed junk, Um, grains, So if you're eating conventional cereal, conventional bread, guess what? You're getting an extra dose of a probable carcinogen in all of that. Um, So you brought up something interesting there with a potato. So what I'd like to do right now is take our first break and then come back to the toxic mess that is a conventional potato (laughs) because you can tell us about all the chemicals that are on a conventional potato, glyphosate being one, Roundup, that we were just talking about, but there are many others also that people may not be aware of. So thank you, Janae, for the intro to your wonderful farm and to food. Up to this point, we're going to continue talking about all this great stuff on the other side of the break. But before we go, I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's show, who is Mompreneur Peru Agrawal. And she is sending out a call to all mom bloggers, mom authors, and other mompreneurs to be part of her crowdsourced book, By Moms for Moms. A hundred moms from all over the globe are coming together to talk about their fears, challenges, and their most powerful and weakest moments raising a child in our complicated world today. If you have a story to share, she would love to hear it. You can contact her at moms at paruleagrawal.com. That's P-A-R-U-L-A-G-R-A-W-A-L.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us, and we will be back in a jiffy. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Introducing the Abundance Cubed coaching program on Gen R Holistic Radio. Wellness entrepreneurs who integrate the best of modern and holistic approaches 
will fix our broken food and healthcare systems. So host Sandra Malhotra and creator of masterpieces Noam Kostuki are going to empower them to do just that. We will help five entrepreneurs grow and unlearn limiting beliefs during this program. You too can learn alongside them by turning into Gen R Holistic Radio the first Tuesday of each month. Join us for an adventure in expansion. GMOs or genetically modified organisms are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit nongmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you again for joining us today. I am here with Junaid Dubrul, an organic farmer and the owner of Stone Coop Farm in Brighton, Michigan. Uh, we are talking about all kinds of food-related issues today, especially from her perspective as an organic farmer. And the one thing we started talking about previous to the break was all of the chemicals and toxins that are used in conventional farming that she does not use. And one great example of that is actually the potato, which is such a common staple food in the United States. If you buy conventional potatoes, you are getting a lot more than just that potato in your meal. So, Jonay, if you could tell us about everything else that comes along with that conventionally grown potato. Sure. I was actually looking some some information up on the USDA website yesterday about potatoes, and more than 90% of all potatoes are grown using several chemicals during the entire stage of growing the the potatoes. The first thing they do is they put a fertilizer in the soil. They also then use an herbicide while they're growing the potatoes to kill weeds. They use a fungicide to prevent diseases. They then use a pesticide to kill the potato beetles. Next, 
They use an herbicide to kill the potato vine because it's easier to actually harvest the potatoes when those vines are dead. And during all of these phases in the uh, field, they actually have to wear hazmat suits because these chemicals are so toxic. Then after they get those potatoes into the warehouse, they actually spray them with an anti-sprouting agent, which is now being banned in um, the European Union because it is a carcinogen as well. well. But the the potatoes then have to sit in a warehouse and off-gas. So all these chemicals have to evaporate off of them until they're considered healthy or safe to eat. And you can't peel this off. You can't wash this off. So the only way to prevent all these chemicals from going straight into your, into your body is to buy organic potatoes because they're not allowed to use any of those chemicals. Yeah, no kidding. So how would you then grow an organic potato if you don't use all of these toxic chemicals? How would you do it? Well, the, the first thing I do is I buy certified organic seed potatoes, which are four times more expensive than conventional potatoes. Mm. So already my cost goes up. Yeah. I then actually plant the potatoes in the field, and I use a cultivator to actually take the weeds and hill the dirt up along the edges of the potatoes. Then for the potato beetles, we actually do search and destroy. So we take oh. it a bucket of soapy water, and we go through the fields and look at every single plant, and we tap those potato beetles into a bucket of soapy water to kill them. And then we harvest them by hand after the plants have uh, died because then the actual skin on the potatoes is tougher because it's had a time to mature in the ground. So it takes a lot of work to actually do this. But the potatoes taste fantastic. And it's amazing to me when I serve potatoes to friends. They're like, why do they taste so good? What did you do that was special? Mm -hmm. And all I did was put salt and pepper on them. It's because it's a great ingredient in the first place. I didn't yes. have to do any special sauce. Wow. Okay. Interesting. And uh, if you're buying locally, then especially from a farmer nearby, it doesn't need to, to be sprayed with that anti-sprouting agent that you talked about. It doesn't need to be sprayed with the anti-sprouting agent ever. Okay. Raw potatoes, when we keep them in our root cellar or in our cooler, don't start sprouting until March or April when we mm. harvest them in September and October. So, and if you keep your potatoes in a cooler place, either in your refrigerator or in your basement or somewhere where there's not sunlight, they won't sprout for months and months and months. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. So the use of that is just frightening for a number of reasons, most of which, if they're stored properly, you don't even need it. So. Correct. Right. So, okay. So that was very interesting. I knew that organic potatoes were so much better, but I didn't know the depth to which a conventional potato is doused with toxic chemicals. And so just to go off on just a quick tangent here, is it any wonder Americans are so sick uh, considering what we're eating? all of the toxic chemicals that we're getting with our conventional food. So that's that's why I like talking, especially to farmers like Janae, because you get to learn from someone, boots on the ground, literally, how food is grown organically versus how it's grown conventionally, because this information is just not readily available. Um, so you have to dig for a little bit, and that's what we're doing here. So another topic that I really like to talk about on this show are genetically modified 
foods. So sometimes you hear propaganda which says genetic modification is not that unnatural and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, it takes scientists in lab coats many, many tries to figure out how to force genetically modified seeds to exist in this world because it's nothing that nature would do by itself because different species are being combined here with genetic modification. So Janae, from your perspective, can you tell us what's the difference between the different types of foods that you grow that can be referred to as heirlooms or hybrids and then uh, the ghastly beast known as genetically modified organisms? What's the difference <laughs> between those? <laughs> well, the, uh, the heirloom um, varieties are typically seeds that have been saved for over 50 years. Uh, for example, we grow a Cherokee Purple Heirloom Tomato. That the seeds have been saved for over 400 years, and they think they originated with the Cherokee Indians. So the exciting thing with that is that I'm eating a Cherokee Purple Tomato that was eaten 400 years ago. So it's wow. the same thing, which to me is just mind-boggling to think about yeah. that. But farmers for generations, for millenniums, have always saved their seeds. So heirloom seeds typically can be saved and reused, and you get the same plant. Whereas a hybrid seed, oh, and heirlooms are grown for flavor. So remember that, flavor. Mm. Hybrid seeds are where they take a tomato seed and a tomato seed from two different plants, and they will combine them. So it's like a mom and a dad has a baby. So it's always the same species. So there's nothing to worry about them, but they were actually designed so that you can ship them and transport them, and that they store longer. So, for example, a red tomato um, that is a hybrid, maybe grown in the field, it will be harvested because um, it's a hybrid because it doesn't crack like an heirloom tomato might be all lumpy and bumpy and have cracks in it, whereas a, a hybrid tomato would be harvested, and then it's actually oftentimes the ones you see in the grocery store that are pink, they're actually harvested green, and they're ripened in the truck with a chemical on their way to the grocery store. So they mm. never taste as good as any tomato that you might grow in your backyard. And they're basically just grown to be able to ship and store. If you let them ripen as they should naturally, they taste fantastic too. Ah, okay. And then, so there's nothing wrong with hybrids. We grow a, a, a couple of fantastic ones that we really, really love. Um, but then the last one is the genetically modified, which you mentioned, Sandra, where they actually insert a chemical or a bacteria or a trait from something that's not even a same species into the DNA of that seed. So it can't be saved, it can't be replicated, and it's patented by that company. So if a farmer is trying to save their own seeds and they're cross-pollinated, like corn is wind-pollinated. So if a conventional farmer has GMO Roundup-ready corn and it cross-pollinates an heirloom variety of corn grown by an organic farmer, they can't sell that seed or save that seed or sell that corn as organic anymore, um, which is tragic because the small guys are suffering the consequences of these large companies like Monsanto saying that we own the patent to the seed and you're not allowed to say anything that has the DNA that matches our DNA corn. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the patent ramifications uh, here are huge and a discussion all by itself. 
But the point being, yeah, the point being that the ability to patent life, I think, is horrifically wrong. Uh, The way it's being implemented by companies like Monsanto is criminal because, like you said, uh, organic farms can be contaminated by genetically modified ones. And then what Monsanto will do is come in and demand payment from that organic farmer whose crops were contaminated because they're using their patented product. So therefore, it's their intellectual property and they deserve money for it. And it's downright awful, the intimidation tactics that Montana will use, Monsanto will use on farmers like this. And so really being aware of where your food is coming from and the power that we have as consumers to choose local and choose organic and the ramifications that we'll have in the whole food supply is tremendous because right now Monsanto has too much money and too much power and we're giving it Correct. to them. It's, yeah. it's on us. It really is on us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what types of crops are commonly genetically modified that people should be aware of? Um, One of the uh, organizations that I like to pay attention to that does a lot of research is the Cornucopia Institute. And Mm. their top 10 list included soy, corn, canola, cotton, about 20% of all of our milk, um, because dairy cows have growth hormones inserted or in their food. Yes, yes. Sugar from sh- sugar from sugar beets. So if you're going to buy sugar, buy pure cane sugar. Um, aspartame, it's actually a genetically mo- modified bacteria. Oh. So it's not a good substitute for sugar. No. Um, zucchini, yellow squash, and papaya, which were surprising for me because yes. I had no idea they were doing that to zucchini and yellow squash and papaya, but it's to eliminate uh, the bugs that get involved with um, killing the zucchini and yellow squash, and I'm not quite sure what the deal is with the papaya, but um, Mm. a lot of these products, more than 90% on the market, are genetically modified. So it is so hard to stay away from them. Read your labels, and if you want to guarantee you don't have them, you have to buy certified organic or look for the butterfly label. That's right. That is actually because the consumer demanded it, not because our government wanted to label for us. So your buying dollars make a humongous difference. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and that's a really great point about the non-GMO verified label, the butterfly, um, that the fact that consumers demanded that and that the market responded with something like that. Because as many of you may know, There's been a battle royale going on uh, to require clear labeling of genetically modified foods in the United States, which many other parts of the world, their citizens get to know if what they're eating is genetically modified or not. If, for example, um, the product that they're buying has genetically modified soy or corn in it or all the other things that Janae just mentioned. Uh, Whereas in the United States, we don't have a federal law that requires that. Um, And in fact, a really scam of a piece of legislation was signed by President Obama this year, which is generally referred to as the Dark Act, uh, which made it a very watered down, convoluted, voluntary way for food producers to indicate whether they're using genetically modified ingredients or not. So the only way to really know is to go for the non-GMO verified label or organic. 
And the more we push for it, the more of these foods will become available. Because just like Janae said, our legislature, our elected officials are not going to do this for us. This is something that we're going to need to do. So uh, use your power, people. <laughs> we have it. We definitely have it. All right. So that was a great description of what's going on with conventional food, Janae. So thank you for that. And we're going to go to our next break now. And on the other side of it, we're really going to get a little bit more into what local and organic and sustainable means for you as an organic farmer. So thank you everyone for joining us. But before we go, I'm going to go ahead and thank our sponsor for today's show, Mompreneur Peru Agrawal. She is putting out a call to all mom bloggers, mom authors, and other mompreneurs to be part of her crowdsourced book, By Moms for Moms. A hundred moms from all over the world are coming together to talk about their fears, challenges, and their most powerful and weakest moments raising a child in today's world. If you have a story to share, please reach out to her. She'd love to hear from you at moms at paruleagrawal.com. That's P-A-R-U-L-A-G-R-A-W-A-L.com. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you real soon on the other side of this break with more great stuff. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Introducing the Abundance Cubed Coaching Program on Gen R Holistic Radio. Wellness entrepreneurs who integrate the best of modern and holistic approaches will fix our broken food and healthcare systems. So host Sandra Maholtra and creator of masterpieces Noam Kostuki are going to empower them to do just that. We will help five entrepreneurs grow and unlearn limiting beliefs during this program. You too can learn alongside them by turning into Gen R Holistic Radio the first Tuesday of each month. Join us for an adventure in expansion. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am having a great discussion with Janae Dupruel, an organic farmer and owner of Stone Coop Farm in Brighton, Michigan. And we've been talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is food. And she's given us a great introduction into what happens with conventionally produced food, all the toxins that really come along with it. And what the scary aspects of genetically modified foods are. There are lots of them. And in this segment, what I'd like to do is to talk about more how she produces her food using a local, organic, and sustainable approach. So, Janae, you have mentioned that you subscribe to seven-generation sustainability. What does that mean for you? It's a, it's a great law of the Iroquois, and basically it means that when you think about a decision on how you're going to do anything, you think about the impact that decision is going to have on seven generations, so approximately mm-hmm. 140 years into the future. So we make conscious choices about what is the impact going to be on what we use, how we grow food, what types of crops we want to grow, how do we treat people? I mean, it, it's the full gamut of everything. And um, I just think it's super important to think about the long-term future of our, our inhabitants, the people, the plants, the earth, and, you know, everything around us. Yeah. So I like that you mentioned the earth because that's, that's a big factor here. Uh, when you start thinking about dirt, when you start thinking about soil, I think a lot of people don't give it a second thought that dirt is kind of a dirty connotation, right? It's not a, not really desirable stuff, dirt. But to a farmer and to all of us, actually, uh, our life depends on the health of our soil and the health of our dirt. And it's a very complicated ecosystem in there. So can you talk about everything that goes on in the soil and how you nurture it? as an organic farmer versus what a conventional farm will do, which is basically nuke it with lots of chemicals. What's what's the difference here? <laughs> I don't know if I can talk about everything because it's amazing how many microorganisms are in a square inch. Like there's over there you go. millions. <laughs> That's a huge point right there. All the microorganisms that are in a square inch, right? There's a right. lot going on. So in order for your plants to thrive, they have to be in healthy soil. And healthy soil needs air, it needs water, and it needs nutrients. So that's why the microorganisms are so awesome. They go through, they eat the bacteria, they eat the... There's relationships between the plants, the root systems, and the microorganisms. They... um, Some different plants, like when we put cover crops down, such as putting clover or alfalfa out in the fields in between... Our vegetable crops, it puts nitrogen back into the soil, so it helps make the soil healthy. Uh, manure has a ton of fantastic things in it, including nitrogen, which is a lot of the plants need nitrogen to turn green. Um, the leaves need the nitrogen to turn green. So there's all these different, I mean, it's a, a food web within the soil. So when you rototill a lot, you just tear up all the air pockets and the water pockets and the microorganisms. When you add a ton of chemicals, you don't let the 
soil do what it naturally will do, and then you get these fields where they're just, you may see them after a rain, and it just cracks and dries, and it's so compacted that there's no place for the water to go. Mm. Um, And and you don't see the the bugs, you know, you don't see the honeybees or the spiders or the beetles because they can't live there either, which is part of that food web. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And if anybody wants to delve into this topic some more, there's uh, a regenerative farmer in Virginia named Joel Salatin, S-A-L-A-T-I-N, who's written uh, many good books on the topic of regenerative farming. And he gets into all this stuff in beautiful detail. And he's a wonderful writer. So it's a good read. Uh, Books like Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. Um, the Sheer Ecstasy of Being a Lunatic Farmer, <laughs> books like that. They're just simply awesome, and they delve into this some more. So, okay, so soil, super important. So now can you talk to us about what organic means? You talked a bit already about the documentation that you have to do as an organic farmer and what you do and what you don't do. So can you define it a little bit more? Like what do you – Everything that you have to go through as an organic farmer, what does it take? Well, the first two requirements to be certified organic is that you can't use any synthetic chemicals of any kind at all on your property. The next thing is that you're not allowed to use genetically modified seeds. Mm -hmm. So those two things, if you don't meet those two requirements, you can't be certified organic. And in order to prove that, there's actually an annual inspection there's paperwork, and you have to actually track from seed. So the seed packet, you have to be able to show that you got seeds that were not genetically modified and were not treated with chemicals to help them germinate. And then you have to track all the way through your final sales. So, for example, my inspector may come in and say, I want to see the Cherokee, tomato, Cherokee purple tomatoes that you are growing. I need to see the seed packet. I need to see where did you grow this seedlings, which we have a greenhouse because it's hard to buy organic seedlings, so we grow them ourselves. Then we have to show exactly where we plant them in the field, what we did in terms of watering and weeding, and then we have to track how much we harvest and exactly who we sell it to so that they can verify, all right, you grew this many Cherokee purple tomatoes. You think you're going to have, for example, 500 pounds. You actually had 600 pounds, tell us why you had two, more than you expected because mm. they want to verify that you're not buying it from someone else. Or if you had a lot less, what went wrong? So it's all a process of verifi- verifying that you're not using chemicals, you're not using genetically modified food, and you actually are growing and selling products that were grown on your own farm and not somewhere else. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So a lot of documentation and care that goes into the growth of organic food. So what would you say are the biggest challenges for small organic farms like yours? The subsidies, the large, gigantic farm subsidies kill us because people don't understand the real cost and time and labor it takes to grow food, real food. Like think about having a garden in your backyard. You spend a lot of time taking care of those tomatoes. Well, imagine if you have 700 tomato plants. Yeah, that's a lot of work and a lot of labor. They don't just grow by themselves. And people don't understand that if you want a quality product, you have to pay a price for that quality product. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And as far as actually changing the tide of all of that, of course, voting with your dollars, buying organic food, but also just making your voice heard with your elected officials, being part of the democratic process. Uh, It was really unfortunate that in this last election, food was not even talked about. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, right. In, in either party, it, and think about what a fundamental thing that is for everything, not only for our health uh, and for our life, but for national security. Uh, right. Just having a sustainable food supply that's safe and secure, and that we're not relying on other parts of the world to get—it's the reverberations from it are huge, and it wasn't even talked about. So I think the 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 more we vote with our dollars, and the more we demand this be part of the discussion could only be a good thing because yes, I the agree fact with that, that our, and I think yeah. some people also, I think people need to start thinking about eating seasonally too, Sandra. Mm, it's a good and point. what I mean by that is to actually eat things in your area that are seasonally ready. So don't eat strawberries in Michigan in January right? because Mich- strawberries in Michigan are ready in June. <laughs> So if you eat seasonally, you're going to get the freshest, most nutritious, because the longer it travels on a truck, the more the nutrition decreases. You're going to get the best food possible if you eat within the season. And if you eat, you know, 50 pounds of asparagus in the spring when asparagus is ready, you won't care that you won't get it until next (laughs) spring. But by the time it comes next spring, you're going to be so excited to have asparagus again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even in big organic grocery stores like Whole Foods, you'll get strawberries year-round, but they're coming from Mexico and Central America during the winter. Yeah, here in Colorado. So they're there, but you can make the choice not to buy them. Correct. Yes. And... Okay, so now let's change direction a little bit for the last few minutes that we have and just talk about not only your life as a farmer, but you're a businesswoman and an entrepreneur when it comes down to it. You're much bigger than someone who just farms her land. So what would you say are your biggest challenges in terms of just running a business? The biggest challenge for me was learning how to run a business in Mm. terms of You know, I worked for a gigantic corporation. I was one of 47,000 people. So I had my little bitty thing that I had to do. But as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I had to learn how to do bookkeeping. I learned how to do marketing and sales and personnel and training. There's so many different um, facets to owning your own business. And it's so easy to get absolutely consumed by it. So for me... The biggest challenge was figuring out how to have time for myself and my family. Mm. And part of that was learning how to turn off my phone (laughs) and saying I have business hours and I can wait to answer those calls and texts until the next morning or until after Sunday on Monday. Um, And that was a, a, a huge challenge for me to try to figure out how to do that. Yeah. So what would your advice be for other farmers to get a handle on all those aspects of their business? I think if you can realistically figure out how how to have business hours, that's the first component. Turning off your phone and your text at a certain time, 
is super crucial as well. If you can network with other people or with your employees, if you have them, that can cover for you so that you can take a weekend off every now and then to mm-hmm. go away from, you know, with your family. For me, on a farm, it's difficult um, because I live at work. So I open up the window, the curtains, and I see work. It just <laughs> never goes away. Um, so little things like my husband and I have a date night every single week, and it has to be something that doesn't include errands, like grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to involve leaving the farm so yeah. that I can just not think about it while I'm here and while I'm living here. Yes. So if you can figure out that personal time for yourself, that's absolutely crucial for yourself and for your family. Yes, yes, big time. And how did you learn about the things like marketing and accounting and bookkeeping? How did you figure all that out? Are there are there any resources that you can direct other farmers to to get a handle on all this? Um, the Small Business Administration has uh, um, they can help you out, uh, and they do a lot of free services. There's um, tons of different farming manuals out there. Um, they all come away come from different angles. Um, mm-hmm. One that I really liked was Fearless Farm Financing. I don't remember the authors, but it was very helpful. Um, I would say look for mentors. Look for a business person and farm mentors that you can ask questions. You know, simple things when we first laid out the farm, should I lay my fields out north and south or east and west? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of basic, but (laughs) that doesn't matter, you know? So those conversations were crucial when we were first getting the farm started, um, but having those other people that have nothing to do with farming, but that they know how to do marketing, or they know mm-hmm. how to run a successful business, or they know how to set up an employee manual, or time tracking for your employees. Um, so outside help and uh, asking for help for me was, was crucial, besides, you know, a lot of the learning by the seat of your pants. Yes. Um, yes. You know, and then this year has been really, really helpful for me. Even though I've had the farm for almost six years, um, the Abundance 2 program was gigantic at helping me kind of clarify my marketing, my branding, rethinking mm-hmm. my sales, rethinking my personal life. It was, um, it was super helpful to help me wrap my head around a focus rather than running around like a chicken with my head up all the time because yeah. I... There was just too many things to do all the time. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So looking for outside resources, small business administration, mentors, uh, even coaches or coaching programs, all those things. Because I think farmers, likely many of them go into it because they have a passion for the food. But the bottom line is it still is a business. And so having those... Yeah, so having those skills is critically important, especially to make it a profitable business. And I think that's where someone like Joel Salatin, for example, he's written about this in his books. He's just a master at marketing and public speaking and putting himself out there and has found a lot of success from that. And so mastering these skills, very important for successful farmers. Okay. Yeah, and it's frustrating for me when farmers say they're making a profit, but they're not paying themselves a wage. Oh. So it's not it's not a profit if you don't make a salary. Yeah. So and that's a struggle with farming because farmers measure profitability in many, many, many different ways. 
and not like a standard profit and loss statement that says, I get a wage on a regular basis. A lot of times farmers just give the time for free, which does not make sense and is totally not sustainable. Correct. So that's, that's a frustration for me as well. Oh, yes. And Mr. Salton has written about that. He would like farmers to be considered white-collar workers and have the salary that goes along with that because what's more important than providing food for our country? Right right along there with teachers and firemen and police uh, are our farmers. And (laughs) and it's, it's a complicated job, just like you said, and it should be paid accordingly. So, well... Thank you so much, Janae. Now, remind us one more time before we go where we can find you on the web and social media. Our website is stonecooppharm.com. We're also on Facebook. And uh, we have a few YouTube videos out there if you want to see some of the things we're doing. Uh, Some of them are just silly, but some of them are how to harvest (laughs) different crops and things that we do at the farm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, informative stuff for people who want to learn about how you're doing what you're doing. All right, so Stone Coop Farm in Brighton, Michigan. So thank you so much, Jonay DeBrule, for joining us today. Wish you all the best and much success with your organic farm. I'm sure the people in your community love it. And so please just keep up the great work. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's been a pleasure. You are welcome. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today for this interview. And don't forget to follow Regenerate Magazine on Facebook and check out all of our articles about food and many other topics regarding holistic health at regeneratemagazine.com. Thanks again for stopping by today. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.